0: Listen Wednesday for your chance to win tickets to Heart, Love Alive Tour. Yasana Amphitheater will be rocking when Heart brings our Love Alive Tour with special guest Joan Jett and the Black Hearts and Ellie King to town August 13th. You'll not want to miss his show. Tickets are on sale now. Purchase your tickets at LiveNation.com. Time to talk a little college football. Matt Michelle joins us, national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lisa any Hansen get an iPad for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Matt, good morning.
1: Good morning. How are you guys doing today?
0: We're doing well. People in Utah might wonder why we'd have someone from Florida on to talk college football. And it's because, you know, the local homers always want the local teams to win. It's more interesting and more fun when they win. But when someone on the other side of the country says or writes something nice about them, it makes everybody's ears perk up. What do you like about the Utes? From Florida, what have you seen? What have you noticed? What do you like?
1: Well, this is a program right now. You know that you you look at what they've been able to do over the last, you know, four or five years. uh, You know, and and they've been consistent ever since they've joined the the Pac-12. And I I think this year, especially, you know, you look at what they return uh, offensively. They return eight starters. uh, You know, with Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss coming back, And, and I think that's that's a group that I think they can help you know, help them out offensively, maybe pick up a little bit where they, they lacked a little bit last year, especially in the passing game. Uh, they returned seven defensive starters, and, and this is a group right now that, you know, I, I think, it, as we know, is, is going to be probably in contention in, in the Pac-12 this year, possibly even making a, a serious run at the Pac-12 title. I know they came off a South Division win last year, but, you know, this, this is a group I think that can make a big statement and, and possibly make a push to get the Pac-12 into the uh, college football playoffs.
2: So it's a good news, bad news thing when it comes to Pac-12. You say about possibly getting the Pac-12 in the playoff, you know, and that's a big thing nationally because they haven't been in it in a while. Washington got in it a little bit. Oregon, too. But, you know, it's sliding behind. And you see, so the way I view this as good news, bad news, because you have them as a potential, but then they're also, you only have them at 21st. So those, those two don't kind of jive. You see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when you look at this, the Pac-12. I think there's going to be some challenges there. I think Washington obviously is a team that's probably going to, you know, make make another run like they've done over the last couple of years. I, I think you look at what, uh, you know, we, we saw Washington State what they've done over the, the, the past. Oregon is, is looks to be improving with Mario Cristobal. I, I think this is a conference as a whole that you're seeing the programs starting to get, you know, to, to that elite level, starting to find their way into top 25 more than we have over the last three or four years. I think the thing that's hurt the conference a little bit is the fact that these teams have been beating up on each other every year. You know, that whenever there's a team or two that stands out that you feel like maybe can make a serious run you know, there's a game that they end up losing in, in conference play, and I think that's hurt them a little bit. I also think, you know, that, that when you talk about national perception, I think, you know, outside of, of the West Coast, there, there probably are a lot more focuses being paid towards the SEC and the Big Ten and possibly the ACC. So um, there may not be a, as, as much love given to the Pac-12. So this is a conference right now that has, as you mentioned, kind of a little bit of identity situation. They need to have some big wins to, to and, and get some big statement wins especially in their own conference, against ranked teams, if they're going to make a push for that maybe possible playoff run.
0: Do you view the Pac-12 as tough or stupid for playing nine conference games?
1: Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, I, listen, I think the way we're going in college football is schedules are going to become even more you know important to everybody. They're going to have to be – you're going to have to add teams to your schedule to make that – you know, to make that serious run when we're talking about playoff. And that is until the playoff possibly expands. If we, if the playoff expands in 2024, 2025, as some people think might happen, you know, then that maybe opens up to, to eight teams or six teams. Maybe then the conference champion gets in. But even then, I still believe – the scheduling's going to be crucial. So I think when you look at a conference like the Pac-12 being in nine games, I don't think that's that's stupid. I I think, you know, you're going to see that more and more. The SEC gets asked that question year in and year out now. Why don't you go to nine? Why don't you do, you know, to try to to help that conference get a little bit tougher? You know, I I think – you're seeing the non-conference scheduling getting tougher. At a lot of these schools, they want to schedule more Power Five opponents. They want to make sure that they've gotten, you know, uh, enough of, of value when you're look, being looked at uh, when it comes to getting a, a team possibly contending for a national title. You can't. The days of scheduling, you know, cupcakes and, and, and rolling over teams and and trying to you know just win by as many points as you possibly can, are, are kind of going out of the way. You know, I think you're seeing more and more teams trying to make sure. Of, they get the, the best situations in, that, uh, you know, in their scheduling. And I, and I think a lot of athletic directors will say the same sort of thing when you look at their schedules. They're not scheduling some of those easy cupcake games as much as they used to. So I think
2: the Pac-12 needs to be in unison. And what I mean by that is they need everybody to pull together and do well, whereas Clemson and Alabama, they don't really need anybody from the SEC or ACC to do anything. In very you know, recent times, we haven't seen much from the ACC outside of Clemson, and SEC is a little tougher. But they stand on their own merits, whereas the Pac-12, we are talking about this earlier, I think that they need, right off the bat, they need Oregon to beat uh Auburn, they need uh, either Stanford or SC to beat Notre Dame. They need ASU to go in to East Lansing and beat Michigan State. All that stuff is going to help Utah or whoever it might be. We're just using Utah as the local example here, and they need everybody to have success. Which makes it more difficult, and I want your response to this, because these other teams, and you could probably put Ohio State in there, doesn't necessarily need their conference to be all that good, and they can still get in.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that the Pac-12 definitely needs to have, you know, they need to help each other out. They need to get these kind of wins. You know, if you if Oregon beats Auburn in the opener, that's on a, a big type stage know, national television stage i think that just helps inflate what the conference has been able to do if you get usc to beat notre dame or stanford beats notre dame or you know you start beating these top 10 top 15 type programs especially consistently i think then people start looking at the conference a little differently and i think you also need some of these programs that have been powerhouses in the past to get back to where they're at you're looking at usc you're looking at ucla uh, you know, Arizona State was was a power at one point. You know, they need those kind of programs to continue to rise up, and it's been it's been difficult because you know some of these programs just haven't been at that elite level like they've been in the past. So, winning some of those games early on, those big power games, will help them out a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think having a, a, a strong conference championship, you know, going in, will help them out as well. Um, you can't you know once you lose two two games you're you're pretty much out of the mix and I think then people kind of quit paying attention to you and what's going on even though you might have had a, a great season. Um, so to me yeah I agree with you that the idea of really kind of helping elevate this the the image of the pac 12 depends on these teams getting those upset wins, getting wins against quality opponents because that's only going to help them in the long run and I think these programs are on the rise I mean you're seeing you know, again, you're seeing Chip Kelly coming to UCLA. Maybe he can get that program back to where it is. You're seeing Oregon with Mario getting back to where they were with Chip Kelly several years ago. You're seeing Washington, Washington State, Stanford. All those programs now are finding their way into that top 25. I think that's going to be crucial for this conference, especially moving forward.
0: Matt Michelle joining us. He writes for the Orlando Sentinel, a national college football writer. You know, the youths have built their identity running the football and playing great defense. There are people here who think they've got to open it up more if they want to get where they're going to go. And then I think you can also find some people who say, well, Washington, Alabama, and Clemson won conference titles last year, and they just defended like crazy. What do you think is the best path for a team like Utah to win a conference title and then maybe go beyond that to a playoff?
1: Well, I think, I think the big, you know, you mentioned that. I think the defense is still uh, a strong point for a lot of these teams that win, you know, titles. I think that's going to always be their biggest strength for Utah. They They have to play good defense. They also have to avoid mistakes and turnovers. You know, Utah you know, turned the ball over a lot last year. And I think that's something, especially in inopportune times. And I think that's something that, you know, you, you can't do. Good teams find ways to be on the plus side when we're talking about turnover margins. And I think that's something that they have to do a little bit better job of. I think offensively, they run the football well, but they're going to continue to do that. And they need to get that next step at the quarterback level. I think the Pac-12 has built a reputation for being a solid quarterback league, you know, for being able to throw the ball around. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously there were some injuries last year, but. I think if you can continue to, to, you know, elevate that quarterback position, I think all those things together are going to help you out. Especially when you're, you are know, playing, uh, you know, the Washington States and, and you're playing Washington and, and some of these other teams that maybe you know like to throw the ball a lot, a lot more and like to maybe you know put the score up as high as they can. So um, you're going to have to find a way to, to kind of mix that all together. To me, like I said, Utah is one of the more physical teams in, in this conference. They need to continue to do that, but they've got to get a little bit better on offense, and they, and they just got to take care, uh, better care of the football. I think that's the thing that kind of hurt them last year. And and, and you say that, I mean, they still won nine games and still won the South. So, um, I, again, these are all things, I think, that, that are kind of uh, th- trademarks of Kyle, what Kyle Winningham has been able to do with that program. So, I mean, to me, I, I think they're in, a, they're in a good spot going into this year. There's a couple games I think that they can flip, and I think they can be right there again back in the conference championship game.
2: So, you've handicapped the South. I think all of us agree with that. How about take a shot at the North?
1: Well, I I think it's going to come down to Washington and Oregon. I I think those two teams are going to be at it. You know, Washington's got some question marks at quarterback. I mean, you know, they bring in some, you know, they're they're going to have a guy like Jacob Eason possibly come in and take over, you know, and run the offense that looks like with them. Um, I think Oregon, to me, is interesting. You know, I think what, you know, bringing back Justin Herbert at quarterback, I think it's huge for them. I think that kind of gets them a little bit of an edge, so to speak. They bring back practically everyone on the offense. Um, They're going to put some points up. You know, the the question mark is defensively. Can they stop some guys? Um, You know, and as you mentioned, you know, they they open up against Auburn. That's going to be a crucial game because if they lose to Auburn in that opener, you know, how does this team respond? Do they come back? You know, are they able to, you know, put that aside and, and move forward? You know, they still got some key games in, in the next, you know, in the next five or six weeks after that. So they can't get so distracted in the idea of beating Auburn that they let the whole season go, go to waste. So I think Washington and Auburn are going to be the two teams that are going to end up battling it out. I, I mean, you know, Washington and Oregon, excuse me. And I think Oregon, like I said, I mean, they've got an opportunity if they beat Auburn early on. They can make a big statement and make it, maybe take the big push to, as being the team to beat in, in the North when we're looking at the pac 12
0: Stanford has uh, won the North four times in the eight years since the conference went to 12 teams. Uh, but they've only won it once in the last three. Only once in the last three. Do you feel like they've slipped a little bit? Other teams have caught them and passed them by? Or do you think they're in the mix?
1: Well, you know, yeah, I think they've they've kind of slipped a little bit. And Some of that is, you know, they've struggled running the football. They're, you know, they're normally known for being a program that, you know, runs – has a strong running attack. Uh, people thought when Bryce Love was there that you know he was going to win a Heisman and they were you know going to be as dominant. But Bryce Love got banged up and hurt. You know last year that was one of their their things that really struggled with. They they were down at the bottom of the FBS and, and rushing, and that's just unusual for Stanford's team. Um, you know this year again, you know they they've only returned three starters on offense. KJ Costello, their quarterback, has got experience, but they got to replace a lot of pieces, especially on that offensive line. And I know that Stanford's known for developing tough lines on both offense and defense, but, um, you know, it, it's going to take a little bit of a, of a time for adjustments. And their schedule isn't, you know, when you look at early on, it, it, it's really a brutal schedule. I mean, they open up against Northwestern, they're at USC and then at UCF, and then they play Oregon uh, in the first four weeks. So that's that's a really difficult schedule for them. If they survive that first four, you know, then I think maybe there's an opportunity maybe to make some noise. But um, based on what they have, returning talent, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be in contention nearly as much, but that's to say – you know, David Shaw's a guy who always surprises people and finds you know, good recruits and, and gets kids in there. So I don't think they're going to be down very long. It may just be another year or two, and they'll be right back in there with the Washingtons and the Oregon's and the Washington States.
2: So we've seen some of these lesser conferences do extreme things to get exposure. That would be,ing you know, Boise State seems like it rarely has a Saturday home game. They're either if they're Saturday, they're nine o'clock at night Boise time, or they're playing on a Friday. Other conferences, the MAC, playing on Tuesday, what have you. So now something has floated for the Pac twelve. Which is out of the box, and that is playing nine o'clock local starts to get some more attention back where you are in Florida, back in the east. The east has all most of the folks in the time zones, right? So that has been met with some resistance from Pac 12 coaches because they got to get the players up at four or five in the morning, blah, blah, blah. Do you think they should give in and just recognize, hey, in order to compete with the big boys, being way out here, we're going to have to make some sacrifices, one of them being 9 o'clock or stick to the guns and say, no, nope, we're going to do it our way?
1: Well, I, I think that's definitely been a concern is, you know, the, is having your premier games on really late on the East Coast. And, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, maybe aren't paying attention to what's going on. It's hurt I mean, I'll be honest, I think it's hurt the Pac-12 in regards to not just, you know, identifying teams to be contenders in, in the playoff games. But I think it's it's hurt in cases of you know getting guys who possibly could make a serious run at the Heisman. I think you've got a lot of East Coast voters who are already in bed or already you know not paying attention to those games after 10 o'clock. I'm not sure if 9 a.m. is is a, is a great deal. If I was a coach, I can understand why you'd be upset. I mean, it takes a lot of time to prepare to get your guys up and moving and get your team ready to go. I and I think you'd hear a lot of pushback, not just from coaches, but from players as well, you know. Um, And even fans, I think, you know, listen, don't get me wrong, I know a lot of fans would love to start tailgating at 8 o'clock in the morning and start their, you know, taking part of libations at 8 o'clock in the morning, but I'm not sure if the fans are really that interested in doing that. Um, So you'd hope there'd be some sort of way to figure out maybe to kind of somewhere in the middle on this. But uh, it, it's definitely a concern. And when you start hearing conference commissioners talk about this kind of thing, when you hear Larry Scott talk about it or you hear it mention that this is a possible idea, then you know there's been some serious discussion on it. Now, whether they can get everyone to agree on the same page, that's going to come down to the school presidents and, and whether they feel it's feasible. I mean, again, this is, this is a bold step for a conference that's definitely looking to kind of improve its image a little bit. Um, I'm just not sure if this is the way to go. If you kind of alienate your coaches and your and your fans and and you know your players, if that's going to help in the long run, I think there's got to be some sort of middle ground where maybe they can kind of come together and find a way to do this. But uh, I definitely believe that it's a concern. and something they're seriously going to look at over the next couple of years.
0: Matt Michelle, join us, national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, you know, people here. Love Utah football, and they show up in big numbers and go to games, and BYU draws big crowds too. But when you get to the playoffs and it's Clemson and Alabama again, people kind of shrug their shoulders. Is anybody going to derail that, or are we all going to be shrugging, going, eh, it's Clemson and Alabama again?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, think, I think Alabama and Clemson you know, will probably be in the mix again. I know people kind of hate that, but I always kind of relate it to, you, know, you remember back in the 80s, uh, you know when the Lakers and the Boston Celtics were made that, those big runs in the finals. You know those were two teams that seemed to be in the finals every year, year in and out in the 80s. Um, you know those are two some great programs moving forward. I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now with Alabama, Clemson at this point. I still think there's some teams that can make a serious run at it. I think Oklahoma. I think Lincoln Riley's done a great job with Oklahoma uh, you know, over the last couple of years since taking over for Bob Stoops. They get another quarterback in, another transfer quarterback in Jalen Hurts. There's an opportunity there if their defense can get better. They can make maybe a possible run at it as well. I'm interested to know what Ohio State can do with Ryan Day. I think, you know, they bring in a new quarterback in Justin Fields. But Ryan Day is kind of a young, innovative mind that people have been kind of, you know, considering for a long time as a possible head coach somewhere. You know, if he can kind of keep things on track at Ohio State, maybe the Big Ten gets a team back into the playoff after a couple of years of absence. Um, and then, and I think you're going to also see, you know, like I mentioned, maybe a, a team like Washington or Oregon try to make a run. Um, Notre Dame, you know, which was in the playoff last year, I think Notre Dame returns a lot of talent. Um, they can make a serious run. I think those are the teams right now that, that kind of have to make big statements to kind of showcase what they're doing. Alabama, Clemson are going to be there. But at some point – Someone's going to slip up, and there's got to be a team ready to step in there and do that. So those are, in my mind, are the teams right now that have a best chance of maybe making a serious run at maybe dethroning one of those two teams.
0: Matt, thanks for joining us. We appreciate a few minutes uh, for coming on and talking college football. Thanks a lot.
1: No problem. Thank you. You guys have a good afternoon.
0: Matt Michelle, national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel.
2: said something there that I think is extremely important as far as scheduling goes. And it's why I absolutely think that Utah, we had Mark Harlan in here, needs to play BYU for a couple of reasons. One being that, you know, it generates interest locally, but secondly... They don't seem to be willing to play Ohio State. Not that Ohio State would necessarily want to play them or the top dogs. So what you do is you keep BYU on the schedule and it's recognized as a good game. And then you go after a Baylor or an Arkansas at power league, but not necessarily at the top of their league. So even so, if you
0: don't have a marquee win, you have a collection of good wins.
2: Yes, they need to enhance their schedule. And having BYU on their schedule, or even flip, go Utah State, BYU every other year, have one of those that recognizes as an in-state uh, rivalry game, then that increases your schedule. So then you get another Power 5 team that doesn't necessarily have to be literally at the top. It could be like an Oklahoma State, or you know Kansas State has had some moments. And so you get those... I don't want to say second-tier power five. You should. That's but, what they are. But they're still pretty good. Second-tier
0: is good. I mean. High second-tier. Right. But if you're, if you're Utah playing. Utah needs to increase its schedule. If you're playing a team that looks like they could have eight to ten wins, that's great. Can you go out and get the biggest brand names in college football? Probably not. There aren't that many of them. Most teams don't get to schedule them. So that's that's what
2: they should do. Use BYU as a B game, not an A game, even though you can get an A game run combined with playing a f- decent team from another big conference.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280
3: The Zone. And now, Attention. top of the wire One. on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: Team USA began preparations for the World Cup of Basketball yesterday in Las Vegas. Utah Jazz star Donovan Mitchell in training camp working out with the senior team. And as guys leave the club, well, he's expected to have a bigger role. Vince Carter will return for an NBA record 22nd season, re-signing with the Atlanta Hawks on a one-year deal. New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady acknowledged his contract status, has him in unique territory. The 20th year with the same team. He says, I'll be 42 years old, so pretty much uncharted territory for everybody. Twins beat the Braves 5-3. Cubs take down the Athletics 6-5. Javier Baez went yard twice to lead Chicago. Bees were swept in their four-game series against New Orleans. They lose 5-2. They're off today at Omaha tomorrow. Top of the Wire brought to you by Syringa Networks. Rising customers if you were recently notified that some of your telecommunications services will no longer be supported contact Syringa Networks. Syringa is Utah's fastest growing premier telecommunications provider. They have a full range of services call them today at 385-420-8221
3: 385-420-8221 that's
0: Syringa Networks
3: The countdown is back on the Zone Sports Network. It's the fifth annual college football top 60 and 60. you know sports all right smart guy time to put that knowledge to the test it's time for another edition of sports jeopardy with dj and pk on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It is Sports Jeopardy time. Jake is our defending champ. Jake, good morning.
1: Morning, boys. How's it going?
0: Are you getting bored with this? I mean, do you have this kind of time to put in this? I mean, you're having to do this twice a week.
1: I <laughs> am well, uh, don't to lose. I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah. I got a little oh, bit of time. You, you are doing all right. Steve is yeah, our challenge. All right, I'm it's an, it's an honor to be on the phone with the great PK. That's, that, I make time for that.
2: We had a little scratch breakup. What'd you say?
1: I said it's an honor to be on the phone with the great PK, so I make time for that.
0: You want to say it a third time? You feel good enough about yourself
1: yet? I, am I breaking up on you guys? I'm no, no, I heard, it. said, I heard it. It's an honor to be on the phone with the great PK. <laughs> All right. You're... You're born. Oh, I got it. I didn't catch that.
0: Yeah, you're you're <laughs> you're you're born Steve, the challenger to death right now. Steve might actually keel over before he has a chance to do all five questions here. Steve, good morning.
3: Good morning. Good morning. And, and PK and uh, great in the same sentence, kind of a uh, oxymoron there, but.
0: Oh, we know who I want to win. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's begin with. The champ. It's a father-son. Sports Jeopardy edition. Champ. The Blue Jays, Bo Bichette. Son of Dante Bichette. He's playing well. Uh, there are two other sons of major leaguers on the Blue Jays. Five, four,
3: three,
1: two, one. Who is Guerrero and Biggio?
0: Nice. Challenger, Carl Yastrzemski won the Triple Crown with the Boston Red Sox, and his grandson is now a 28-year-old rookie in the Major Leagues this year. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. That is Mike Yastrzemski for the Yes! Yeah! All right. These two Jazz guards combined for 15,815 assists in their NBA careers. 5,
1: 4, 3, 2, one. Who are the Crowders? Oh.
0: Challenger. What? Challenger for the steel. These two Jazz guards combined for 15,815 assists in their NBA careers.
3: That would be that would be John and David Stockton. Yeah, I don't think he listened to the question.
0: No, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, our challenger has a chance to go up 3-1 and lock it up right here. This father-son combo went to Marquette and Kentucky Wesleyan both played for the jazz five four three two one
3: who is this for again
0: challenger challenger
3: Corey and jay crowder
0: yeah it's over it's three one i guess we'll we'll let him bat in the bottom of the ninth anyway uh this jazz rookie made just 28 percent of his three pointers in 86 and 87 1986 and 87 and jerry sloan shipped him out of town he shot 40% from three in a 16-year career, but his son's a better shooter. Who are these two?
3: Five, four, three, two, one.
1: Are you asking me? Because I would say two Jake. people have never been in my kitchen.
0: <laughs> Jake, this is for you. I have no idea.
1: Brady Moline. I don't know. That'd be Dale Curry.
0: Ding dong. And?
1: Steph. There you go. All right. Stefan
0: Curry. Steve's our new champion. That was a heck of a run. How many in a row was it? I believe Jake is up to eight. He's our leader right now in terms Jake. of overall wins. Alright, Jake, the streak hit, All
1: good things come to an oh. end. But eight in a hey, row I, set you up pretty well. Eight in a row is not bad. Can I make one request? Yeah. PK, you're seeing and let's let's hear a little bit of helper Skelter on my way out. <laughs> Makes it all worthwhile. (laughs) Not if you're wearing
0: earbuds. (laughs) Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. That was the champion's champion right there, eight in a row. Um, My throat (laughs) hurts. You can't talk. (laughs) Well, we got got six minutes till break. I want to to go back to what you were just talking about at the end of the last segment, scheduling, because uh, I thought something different during the break. Go ahead. Advance it forward. You were talking about, you know, well, you need to schedule Ohio State. But you can't. They're playing four non-conference games. They're looking at one intersectional game. Why are they going to pick you? Well, they right. picked San Diego State. <laughs> There's a reason. They're in the Mountain West. They're pretty sure they're going to beat them. Well, the Utah they, was in the Mountain West when they yeah. picked them. Yeah, they gave them two for one, and then they bought out the middle game and played all three at <laughs> home. Awesome. I think one of them was yeah. pretty close, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 There was a winnable game in there, and they butchered it. Right. Um, Back when they
2: weren't as good as they are now.
0: But even if you can't—oh, uh, that's absolutely true, yeah. Uh, and, but then I said the second-tier teams. So, second-tier on rep. I mean, the fact is, these teams that are second-tier on rep— Oklahoma State, you brought them up as a great example— doesn't mean they don't end up being the better opponent in any given year. Correct. Oklahoma State does not have Texas as rep, but Oklahoma State has had a better team than Texas for well, most, certainly. if not all, of a decade. Okay. So when I say second tier, yeah, you're scheduling a team second tier on, on rep, but you're scheduling seven or eight years out, so who knows? Exactly. You're, you're scheduling to play some kid who's in the eighth or ninth grade. But you'll get credit for that. You go into Wyoming here Hopefully. next year. You're not getting credit for that. You're not. And it's too bad. Because Even though going to Wyoming, Wyoming is may difficult. have a Josh Allen. Right. They may have an NFL quarterback in a tough environment with a great home field advantage. But you're not right. going to get credit for it. No, you're not. Give yourself a chance to get credit for. It. That's
2: why Utah needs to keep BYU on the schedule. And all you Utah folk, I'm not about. It's not about the Utah BYU. It's about what benefits Utah. You want to get over the top. You have an opportunity now to make a mark. Your program is getting better and better. The thing that lags behind is your non-conference schedule is not near good enough. Soft. It is. It's soft. So you're not getting any credit for it whatsoever. So you take an Arkansas that Mark Harlan has scheduled, and it's a 26-28. You take and play. We had him in Friday, and we asked him about, well, what does that mean for BYU? And he's saying that you know he intends to play them. You put a BYU and an Arkansas. Unless Arkansas is absolutely garbage, you got something there. You're not going to get Oklahoma and likely beat them. You're not SC. You can't roll out a contract with Notre Dame. So with that in mind, play two of those maybe second-tier teams. So you got BYU, which is going to be – you're going to get some buzz for beating a quality BYU team because people know that that game has been – I mean, they have just been some great games. Then you go and you schedule. It's more likely you get a a bigger boost at a scheduling in Arkansas or in Oklahoma State or right now a Syracuse that uh, their coach, their new coach has built that program up a little bit. Or Virginia down the line if Bronco were still being there because they're on the rise. So playing Virginia and then playing a big Sky and a Mountain West team, no. But playing Syracuse and BYU, that's the way to attack it. That's why you should want to play BYU, then play that other team from a Power 5. That is what's going to
0: help you scheduling-wise. So Big Sky or Mountain West, but not both? No. And use
2: BYU as a springboard to another team that could be... Texas A&M. You know, they're okay. They're a good program.
0: I like that. I mean, Kyle clearly wants to recruit Texas. Whoever follows Kyle should want to recruit Texas. If you can, go, if you can get A&M also, on the schedule, They have two
2: recruiters down there. Bring them on. Holiday and Scally yeah. are down there a lot. And so, yeah. Texas, obviously, it's a gold mine. So I think that's the way you have to approach it. So keep BYU, or if you wanted to rotate Utah State and BYU, I think you'd get a bigger buzz nationally if you kept BYU on the schedule. And it's not about the rivalry. It's about what works best for you. Because that's what you should do in scheduling. What is best for you? Utah needs to increase its scheduling. It's not good enough right now. Why in the world are they going to Wyoming next year? Give me a good reason. Why did they go to Northern Illinois last year? I got nothing for you. Why is Northern Illinois coming in this year?
3: Uh, I don't
2: have any problem with Northern Illinois coming but it, in. But I got it, all
0: sorts of problems that you went to Northern Illinois and played before 16,000 people and barely won the game. I get why they scheduled the California schools. They want to increase their presence. They want to be out there all the time. So when they played home-and-home home with Fresno State and San Diego State, okay, fine. But the Northern Illinois and Wyoming stuff... It, do, it doesn't help the school rep. I don't see how it's a big help in recruiting. Those are just a mystery. All I can think is they didn't want to play Power 5 teams when they scheduled those games. They wanted to keep a schedule. They wanted Basically, they wanted three wins so that they only had to win three conference games to be bowl eligible. Yeah, but They're way beyond that now. I right. got your point. I think that's why they did it. And then, and then it's like, well, who will play us? And it's on these dates. These are the dates we've got. And that's who they could come up with.
2: But they need to play BYU for strength of schedule purposes and play another team. And this way, I really believe
0: if you play the Cougars, you don't have to play the Ohio States of the world. Well, he didn't really, when Mark Harlem was in here, he didn't really hedge on the whole BYU thing. It seems like that's where they're going, that it'll be BYU and Baylor when they play them. It'll be BYU and Arkansas, unless the door door you left open is if someone else big came down the line. But, well, if it was a top tier, right, then you drop them. If you have, if you're going to throw Michigan on top of the Baylor game, sure, then, I can live with that. Then you opt out for a year or two. Yeah, but then you're back in.
2: Right, you have to do what's best for your program. And I hear people, well, we don't have. There's nothing for us to gain. Bull crap. You're talking about possibly getting into the playoff. You need a tough non-conference schedule. You don't need an overwhelming non-conference schedule. You need a tough non-conference schedule. And so a BYU and a decent Power Five gives you decent non-conference games. And that's what you need.
0: That's why you want them on the schedule. And I think it's good for the health of the program, even when you're not a playoff caliber team or in the discussion, which will be more often than not. Okay, but maybe it's a New Year's Day Six Bowl. But it's still, well, there's that. You're right. That's another good point. But also, just for the health of the program year in and year out, it puts you on TV in a big time environment. They're going to be playing on a Thursday night down in Provo. There's going to be two or three decent games that night on TV, and that's going to be one of them. And your recruits are going to see those wherever they are Utah, Hawaii, California, Texas, whatever. They're going to see that. If you're playing Northern Illinois, well, we already know you're buried on ESPNU and there's 15 other games on. So what? How much does that help? Nothing. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Diamond Airport Parking. Begin and end every great trip with Diamond Airport Parking. Diamond offers car-to-curb service 24-7 airport shuttles, fantastic rates, complimentary bottled water, plus no one beats the friendly staff. Diamond Airport Parking, just off I-80 and Redwood Road. Park, ride, and save. That's Diamond Airport Parking. Join the big show Friday, August 9th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Warehouse, 1967 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Prices so low it'll blow your mind. That's the Warehouse. Ron McBride, former Utah and Weber State head coach, is going to join us in the next segment. He's up at Utah State's practice with Gary Anderson today. We'll talk a little college football with him in a minute. Uh, we talked a little NBA this morning, people. We ought to, uh, PK, we ought to get people up to date here before they, uh, they get to work. There's a podcast, Sports Illustrated, has a podcast and uh, a jazz fan named Tanner. to consider the irony and predictability of that. A jazz fan named Tanner. Walked into a bar. Wonders if, <laughs> wonders, wonders why some of the SI guys are uh, higher on the Nuggets than on the Jazz. Aren't the Jazz better than the Nuggets? And don't they have a chance to go to the NBA finals and win a championship? The SI SA guys say, yes, they do have a chance. Didn't really like Tanner's uh, player by player comparison. Said that, you know, the impact of one. Position, yeah. yeah. The impact of one guy changes the matchups for the other. and I, you know, I, I kind of get where they're going with that, and I agree with it to a, to a degree. Oh, when I you're agree talking with it 100%. about 100%. Yeah, but the thing is, when you're talking about the Nuggets, the perception of those players is based on those players playing together. Uh-huh. So that may already be baked in. Whereas with the Jazz, when you have new guys coming in, well, absolutely, who's on the floor with you impacts how good you are. Okay. So, you know, we define how good... Bogdanovich is, you know, by what we've seen him do somewhere else. Well, will he be even better here? And does his presence make Rudy Gobert even even better? I think he's going to make the game a lot easier for Rudy Gobert. I don't think he's going to face three guys. You know, yeah, that's why I in think the, the Jazz
2: will be better than the Nuggets. Right. They're talking about this. Gulliver's, uh, uh, it's called the Open Floor Podcast for Sports Illustrated. He's a columnist for Washington Post, and he's saying the the uh, Jokic effect. Every one of these guys is better. I'm reading than what he looks on paper because he benefits from playing with Jokic so I don't think it's right to judge the Nuggets player by player I think there are strong arguments to be made for either of these teams okay fine Jokic is going to set the tone for the Nuggets in the way great players set the tone for their teams and they make other guys around them better yes I understand that And I've got no problem with that. I believe that Jokic last season, for a center doing what he did, had a a revolutionary season. I don't think we've seen centers lead the offense, literally take the ball up the floor and lead the team in assists and so forth and so on. So, yeah, he does make them better. But the thing that I think is going to make the Jazz better is that Conley now has been the missing ingredient that this team has not had for many, many years. George Hill showed it a little bit, but then he was hurt. It was, seemed like he was hurt at the most inopportune times. Conley comes in. This is the missing piece that they they haven't had a big-time player at this position in years. They've had big-time players, Gobert in the middle, Hayward on the wing, Mitchell on the wing, and they've had nice complementary players, a Joe Ingles, a Bogdanovich, those types of players. But they've missed what Conley can bring, he'll bring in a big-time player missing piece. So automatically, Mitchell was going to get better on his own if he played with you, me, Yach, and whomever. He, Mitchell was going to be better. He's going to be 23 years, three years old in one month from tomorrow. So he's going to naturally get better. Now I take a proven commodity, put him aside, Mitchell. Mitchell's improvement is going to be exponential. It's going to be expedited, I should say, because he's got a player now who can teach him and show him and share with him all these – and I say share. I'm talking about literally sharing the load that that Mitchell's had to carry that has been burdensome. So Conley is going to have that yokage effect – On the Jazz, as Jokic rightly pointed out, is going to have and
0: is having on Denver. And that, my friends, is brilliant analysis. And will that matter with the Clippers standing over there? Can either one of them take those? Them, that take doesn't them down? matter
2: whether that matters.
0: Well, because part of the question was, can you win the
2: championship? Right,
0: but you all
2: you can do is improve your team as much as you possibly can. And if the Clippers with their guys happen to be better, well, then you go at it next summer and you or next trade deadline next summer. You try to get better than them. But for right now, I can't answer that. I have to see how it plays out because I'm taking a bunch of new guys here and a bunch of new guys there, too and many, so
0: too many variants. yes.
2: Yeah. And maybe it maybe your your point being, you're leading to it. And it's not your point, but you're leading to it. Is that the Clippers just might be better? If they're better, so be it. Somebody might be better because if the Jazz don't win the title,
0: somebody's better. I think the thing somebody like Denver has going for him the the. Jazz don't have to the same degree, maybe they have a little bit, and I'm not sure the Clippers have at all, is the whole familiarity thing. You know, when you when you make a bunch of changes, it takes a little time to settle in. I mean, LeBron went to Miami with a loaded team, but didn't win the championship the first year. And will Denver benefit from that familiarity? Because they're largely bringing their roster back intact.
2: Uh, yeah, they added the kid from Oklahoma City. What's his name? Grant? Yeah. And then we'll see if Porter comes back and and gets recovered from his injuries so you know but then the teams will also scout them differently as you get more tape yeah. i am yeah, but i'm not so worried about the jazz and the new guys not being together because you're bringing in nothing but veterans this team went in so, somewhat of a blink of an eye being younger to now
0: being extremely experienced yeah absolutely All right, DJ and PK, we are brought to you in part by Homie. You know all about Homie, PK. Buying or selling a home, Homie will give you up to $5,000 back to help you with closing costs and fees. Remember, it's simple to get started with Homie. See more at Homie.com.